0: I'm Mark Kermode, and I listen to the Movie Bunker Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Movie Bunker Podcast. It's me, Matt. It's me, Chris. Hi, Chris.
0: How are you? I'm not too bad. Yourself? I'm all right. It was my turn for an interview. It was your turn for an interview. Who did you interview, Chris? Chris. I interviewed the great Millicent Thomas. Now, Millicent Thomas is a writer, has written for Little White Lies, Dazed, Sci-Fi Now, Film Stories Podcast. It was a good one, actually, because we talked about a film, Tomb Raider, the 2018 uh, reboot, which... I think we discussed doing at one point uh, in back in the day yeah I watched it. it wasn't it wasn't so bad it's it's pretty good on on like a third viewing for me no, second or third viewing for me Millicent is a massive fan which you'll hear about but um, she does defend its honor quite rightly Um so here's the interview Hello, it's Chris from the Movie Bunker podcast. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Millicent Thomas. Hi, Millicent, and welcome to the podcast.
2: Hello, thank you so much for having me on.
0: How did your passion for film writing come about?
2: Um, Well, I think I've always been into movies. Like from a young age, I I watched a lot of movies and I used to like um, kind of claim all the DVDs I loved in my house by like planting Doctor Who stickers on the spines. Like these are my movies. (laughs) When I was around like 14 and I was going through that like deep Tumblr phase that a lot of teenagers have been through. Um, I watched Drive, uh, yeah. the Nicholas Winning Raffin film starring Brian Gosling. And that like really kind of opened my eyes a bit, I think. Um, I know looking back, obviously, it's not a perfect film and it's got a bit of a reputation as maybe like a film bro movie or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But when I first watched it, I was just really shook and I didn't know that like films could like be like that, you know, like the use of colour and, and sound. And I, I was just like, kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things and then I just got like really into it and then I did like a level film and now I'm at uni and yeah just just I think that film was like the gateway for me for sure
0: definitely got a very rich palette in terms of the, the visual style of drive yeah it's a good gateway into movies that movie yeah and for me it was um I guess Uncle Buck, <laughs> which is an old eighties movie, which isn't quite the same. Right, but
2: that, what's that about?
0: It's, so it's um, John Candy and uh, a very young Macaulay Culkin, and he's uh, well, a very badly behaved uncle. But it's a great, great eighties <laughs> movie. Check it out. But yeah, so you started writing for like Little White Lies and Dazed and Sci Fi. Now, how did that sort of manifest itself?
2: It's actually like a really weird and kind of long story. But before, so I'm a bit older at uni. I'm I'm 21 in my second year. and Normally, be like 19, I think. Um, because after college, I um, I was an actor for nearly three years before I even started like writing in any capacity. And I just I was like doing the drama school rounds every year. I was I had an agent. I was like actually in the industry. I guess I was doing like tours and shows and stuff. But I just like wasn't happy, and I was really into movies all this time. And I remember one night when I was staying with my uncle and aunt who live in London, who were kindly letting me stay over for an audition. Uh, we were just talking about like, oh, have you been keeping up with the Oscars this year and stuff? And they were like, oh, no, tell us about it. So I like, started talking about the films and they were like, dude, you're like so invested in this. Why are you not doing something with it? Mm. So then at like two o'clock in the morning in like middle of February, I think I used my last UCAS option to just on a whim apply for like a film degree that wasn't a drama school. Right. Just I was like, you know, whatever, just as a backup. I'm not really enjoying the whole like audition. Re-. It was a bit miserable because it's like the constant up and down. And then I got in. And I was like, hey, I guess I'm going to uni now. Never thought that would happen. But um, a few months before that, I started writing for Screen Queens, uh, which is just – it was, at the time, quite a small uh, website uh, run just by, like, young women who love film, who just did it for fun. There's no profit in it or anything. Mm. Um, And when I decided to go to uni, I asked Chloe, um, our amazing editor, if I could take on a bit more responsibility there. So I became the social media editor. I run the Twitter and everything. And then I just – wrote more and more, I started to take it really seriously. And then in the past, just this past year, I've kind of just gained a bit of confidence, I guess. I just started pitching places, started going to festivals, like using my overdraft for what it's for, I guess. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And yeah, I just, I guess, got lucky in some places. So a friend of mine, Megan from college, uh, got involved at Screen Queens and I was like, hey, I know you. And we kind of rekindled our friendship. And I got really into podcasts at that point. I was listening to like Little White Lies and My Favourite Murderer. And I was like, I want to do this. I I can talk a lot. I'd love this. (laughs) So um, I just asked her if she wanted to like do one to do with films. And I asked Chloe and she said, absolutely, you can have free reign. This can be like your little side show of screen queens do whatever you want yeah so at the time the first like six months of the podcast uh megan was actually in america doing her study abroad Mm -hmm. so we've never actually been in the same room for one um we've always like done it over the internet kind of like we're doing now and uh, yeah it's just really fun to kind of make that space for yourself to like decide what you're going to talk about with complete freedom and have people actually want to listen screen queens the website um is very much about giving voices to uh, young women in well just women in general, in film criticism and the LGBTQ community, because obviously it's no like shock to anyone that a huge, huge percentage of film critics and anyone who kind of writes about film in any like academic capacity as well, it's all the same kind of people. It's all men of a certain age, of a certain like look and they kind of decide the taste, I guess, just by being the only ones who can write about movies for magazines and newspapers. Mm. So this was kind of a reaction to that and offering women a space to talk about films as well. Mm. So Screen Queen's podcast is, so me and Megan host it and we use it to talk about women-made film, but it's kind of evolved. It's it's just about film in general now, but we do have a focus on the women in them and the women who make them is how we describe it. So Mm. we could be talking about a female-led film or a female-directed film or just like films in general, but obviously through a female lens because we are women talking about it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely evolved over the past year that we've been doing it.
0: It kind of leads us nicely into your chosen movie on this mm-hmm. episode. So you chosen well, you introduced the film for me.
2: Uh, I have chosen probably I think I did put it as my favourite film of 2018, and that is Tomb Raider, directed by and I, I do apologize if I pronounce this wrong, but I think it's Ro Utaug. Yeah. Ro, Ro Utaug. I think he's a New Zealand director. But yeah, Alicia Vikander, tombs raiding, love it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> What's your name? Laura. Surname? Name? Croft. Laura, your father's gone. You can pick up where he left off. I see so much of him in you. Brilliant. Hello, Sprout. If you're listening to this, then I must be dead. I found something, a tomb called the Mother of Death. If Trinity succeeds, our world is in danger. Promise me you will stop them. I promise. I think I know where my dad went. That's right in the middle of the Devil's Sea. It will be an adventure. Death is not an adventure. You shouldn't have come here but I'm glad that you did what do you know about my father now I see the likeness the recklessness Ah! close the tomb once and for all the fate of humanity is now in your hands Be too careful these days. The world has gone bloody mad. I'll take two.
0: Yeah. So for those I guess unfamiliar with Tomb Raider, it's first well, it off as a computer game has had. Numerous like movie adaptations, well, numerous, I, I guess this is the third attempt, isn't it, of, of kind of rebooting it. But yeah, I remember the game growing up. I had a PS1 and it was a a, a really good swashbuckling adventure. Um, first of its kind, really. Quite rare in terms of it had a female-led character, a playable character that you you were. That kind of Indiana Jones feel to it and kind of an open world environment as well so really excited game to play and you look back at the, at the sort of the visuals and the graphics now it looks incredibly dated but i guess would still be a very nostalgic playable game if you're mm-hmm. the couple of the movie adaptations which with angelina jolie did you see those two
2: i've got to say i still haven't seen them and i kind of don't want to yeah i don't want yeah. to like tarnish this vision of Lara that i have i think <laughs>
0: So, do you, did you were you familiar with the the games as well?
2: Yeah, I always knew about them growing up, but um, I've only played the twenty thirteen reboot trilogy.
0: Yeah, because
2: um, I got into games in like the two, like maybe 2013, yeah, two thousand and thirteen. I think is when I got into games, and I'm really into games now. I worked in a game store for nearly three years, yeah. but I've never like gone back and played them. I don't think I code without a PlayStation One, perhaps, unless they've no. mastered them. But I yeah. know how great they were.
0: <laughs> what is it about this this remake or this version of this movie? Because it, it, when it was released in 2018, it was a very lukewarm res, uh, warm response. A lot of the initial kind of leaked photos and the trailer looked really promising. And then for whatever reason, I, well, I guess the main reason was some of the story uh, was a little bit uninspired, but the critics and some of the audience scores turned out to be a little bit disappointing, I guess. But what is it that really grabs your attention
2: so growing up i've I've never seen like indiana jones or anything like that i think um the mummy was very much my indiana jones um so like all these adventure movies with like puzzles and ancient relics and stuff i i never really had that apart from the mummy and then playing these games and i played them around the same time i played like uncharted and stuff like that and it was just so incredible to me like the worlds they found and then when this one came about it takes such inspiration from those reboot games. It like doesn't even look back at the Laura Croft ones, really. It's all about the the new game trilogy. Mm. And Laura is just such an accessible hero, I think, because she's so grounded in reality, like to the point where she's literally a delivery driver pretty much. Like yeah. she's real as you can get, she's just this like London girl who's just trying to get by and then she's thrust into this world, and she's not a hero. In the sense that, you know, she's she's got like her long braids and her twin guns and she's a, a crazy assassin. Um, she's actually just in a situation that happens to be super interesting. But she's kind of reacting to it the way we would react to it. And I think even in the games, that's how she is. And that's what makes her so like accessible, I think, is you can totally project yourself onto her. Not that yeah. she's like a blank canvas, but. You know
0: what I mean? I know what you mean. And I think um, it's fantastic casting, inspired casting, really. I think when they released the cast, it was, it was kind of, yes, that absolutely works and it completely fits. And she is, as you say, um, and uh, comes across as just being a, a normal, everyday person who's, you know, like everybody, struggling to make ends meet, um, is a courier, as you say, uh, is already fairly fit because she's a, a, like a, a boxer or kickboxer. And so you get uh, immediately in the beginning of the film, you get introduced to this uh, London way of living. Um, You know, there's there's a lot of hipsters around, and they do Mm -hmm. this. uh, This is amazing opening sequence actually, which um I'd forgotten about. But they the fox hunt sequence where
2: oh, it's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
0: and I've never seen that on on film. So I thought it was
2: pretty pretty good. Yeah, the first like half an hour of the film is maybe my favourite part, just when we're seeing her in London living her life. Mm. And I've heard as well a lot of the praise I saw about the film was that the Fox Hunt was geographically correct. Mm. <laughs> so like when she like turned a corner onto a street, it was actually the street that she would turn onto, which yes. I think people appreciate in film. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think the cast in general isn't bad at all. So you've got uh, Alicia Vikander, as you say, as Lava Croft. Dominic West turns up as Lord Richard Croft, the the missing dad, if you like, or the... It's kind of like the savant as well, explaining the, the plot and some of the, i go, MacGuffins in the movie, I guess, which there are plenty of. Um, Dominic West is kind of like a really trustworthy actor, if you like. I mean, he yeah, can he's turn so up... Yeah, Yeah, he can turn up in anything and really sort of give it some gravitas. And I, I mean, I first... Uh, became a way of Dominic West in The Wire, which is a, a fantastic series. And he can turn his hand to any kind of accent mm. or, or dialect, and he, he comes across really well. We get Walter Goggins, the Walter Goggins, playing um, the kind of the villain of the piece, Matthias Vogel. I think that's how you pronounce him. Is yes,
2: it? he's amazing, but I actually <laughs> never heard of him before I watched Doom Raider.
0: Yeah, he kind of always plays villains. I mean, he I guess he's typecast in a way, but I've never seen him in a goodie role. But he shares the mm. screen, not literally, with Hannah john Kamen, who plays Lara's best mate, Sophie, because they were both in Ant-Man and the Wasp together.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: And then you've got Christian Scott Thomas as well, who's obviously very reliable and adds, again, gravitas mm-hmm. to anything she's in. But the cast is small. There's not many major parts. Lara Croft is front and centre throughout the whole movie, and it is, isn't it quite rightly, should be. It's her movie. Mm-hmm. And Alicia Vikander carries the whole thing I think really admirably and really well despite some of the issues with the dialogue and, the, and maybe the script being a little bit too on the nose but from, a, from an entry point it's pretty good isn't it in terms of opening that universe to new art, a new audience. C-
2: completely like I, I know a lot of people complain that it's another origin story but it's not as if it's like a remake of a remake of a remake it's literally just the second time they've put uh, Lara to screen and this time it's from a different inspiration so for me I really liked that she wasn't quite she's not the tomb raider yet she's just Lara Croft mm. and her eyes are being open to this whole other world and it's really amazing to be on that journey with her because Alicia has this incredible ability to just be like so human on screen like you look at her face and it's portraying so so much and I don't know how she does it she's just incredible like there's grit and there's awe and there's wonder and i think it's it's not so much that we lust after lara like you might have done with the angelina jolie version it's mm. more that we look at her in complete admiration because she's just so determined and i don't know she's she's a go-getter but you know at the start she's not very driven to what she wants to do but as soon as she has a task she like puts her mind to it and you can see the strength in everything she does
0: you made a comment there about the the lostness of the the original character and I think that's where it got wrong, and it definitely shows the era uh, of games and and um, filmmaking that um, you know the representation of Lara Croft was okay, fine for twelve-year-old boys and younger yeah. maybe, but <laughs> but in terms of bringing it bang up to date and um, making it credible, this this is. As again, as I said earlier on, amazing casting. You can definitely see that she puts a lot. She put a lot of work into the role as well, in terms of the physical appearance and the physicality of. Literally, you you had to believe that she was able to be put and plonked on this Mm -hmm. island and be able to to hold her own because she's physically fit and and could probably give anyone a good run for their money in terms of hand-to-hand combat and things like that and, and the good things are this these set pieces where she's um, thinking on her feet and um, being um, clever in terms of how she, mm-hmm. she gets out of sticky situations and you can see that she's, she's not perfect and she's thumbling around and, and, and uh, making mistakes and it really does remind me of Indiana Jones and, and Harrison Ford and how he brought such a humanity to what is a swashbuckling adventure. No superhero tactics, it was kind of by hook or by crook, he had to be there and do something to be able to, you know, flick a switch. And, yeah, really human. There's a lot of the fantastical elements of the original movies and the games that is, I think, deliberately missing. So the mummies, the lions, the, you know, the attacking dinosaurs yeah. and all, all that sort of mythology has been sort of jettisoned and replacing for, like, a virus that is actually not a, a curse or anything. It's literally a, a kind of a, a virus that turns people... Well, what does it do? It kind of makes them into zombies, or it,
2: yeah, it's kind of just like a, a random disease that we don't yeah. really know anything about.
0: Yeah, but it kind of alluded to it right at the end, and it's yeah. not explored. And I think maybe that would have been something for the sequel to do.
2: Have you played the 2013 Tomb Raider game?
0: No, it, that when you start having kids, you realise <laughs> there are certain things that unfortunately get jettisons much like the you know the, the elements of the storyline the original
2: what's really cool I think about this film is that it, it's not a it's not an adaptation of the first game it kind of crafts its own story by taking pieces from each of them so when this film was being made and came out the third game wasn't out yet so this is roughly based on Tomb Raider and rise of the Tomb Raider right and in Tomb Raider, she's she already has like her interest in ancient history and stuff like that but she's still not the tomb raider she's still just laura croft mm. and um essentially I, I think i wrote in my review was it, it's really cool because it swaps out the like eternally perfect hair and the pyramid breasts and it gives her like a, a vest and trousers instead of a crop top and shorts and she has like pockets and backpacks and she's prepared and she's like a real person mm. and getting to play as a real person feels so different than playing as this like very kind of Curvaceous, perfect-looking female character, but in in the first game, you do go to this Japanese island called Yamatai, and you you are looking for the Death Queen Himiko. But in the games, they've really embraced the supernatural aspect to the point where, it's at the very end (spoilers if anyone listeners are playing it or want to play it), <laughs> um, um, Himiko does like come to life and actually possess one of the characters. So when I saw the film and we got to that point. I kind of half expected it to go that far, I guess. Mm. But I actually really, really liked that they turned it around. And like I said, like ground it in reality because I didn't expect it. And I thought that's actually so clever because everything he just said, the way he like described the illness and stuff, sounds like real, like that could happen. The yeah, fact that yeah. she's like, a carrier, but she's immune and, and we flipped it so that she was actually protecting her people and she's not an evil queen. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. And the way they like deciphered it from the paintings and everything, like. I actually really, really liked that they kind of jettisoned the supernatural aspects. I found it quite interesting. But I think there is room to bring it back in yeah. the sequel.
0: Then <laughs> there is a sequel in the works, isn't there, with um, an interesting director. Um, ben Wheatley's involved, I hear.
2: Yes, I'm so excited. I, I think it's a really um, surprising choice, but I think it really works. Especially if you've seen um, Free Fire, I really liked free fire the action that it's really interesting but also he gets like the dark humor in like sightseers and nick frost's cameo in tomb raider just made it feel so british for me (laughs) and i think ben wheatley could bring that really bring that into it
0: has he been secretly waiting for something like this to come along because he's He's rooted in his own vision and his own movies and with his screenwriter and um, partner that he, he works with on all his movies. But he doesn't. It feels like he's been deliberately sort of biding his time and waiting for something like this to drop in his lap so that he can um, be given a certain amount of free reign. Cause I'm, I'm guessing that he he would have taken on this this kind of job, if you like, with uh, quite a few caveats in terms of his vision and where he wants to see it and where he wants to take it. Yeah,
2: Yeah, definitely, because I suppose he's known for having that he's he, all of his films are kind of independently made not maybe not that they have like studio background or anything but that he's like written them They're original pieces of work mm. um, or like high rise is like adapted from a short novel i think but yeah he, he brings his own flair to everything and like tomb raider is obviously a very well-known not franchise but like product i guess like a brand yeah. and to bring someone with his kind of vision to that is could be a really interesting clash but hopefully a good one i guess i'm really really excited about it
0: yeah because he's his movies are disturbing yeah. to say the <laughs> least.
2: definitely and i feel like tomb raider could really go that way especially uh, with the cliffhanger they left as soon as that cliffhanger happened i was like mm. if there is not a sequel i will literally riot so i was like please everyone go see this movie there has to be a sequel
0: one of the best things in this film is Nick Frost and his wife in the porn yes. shop. <laughs> well, Nick Frost is such a great screen presence, isn't
2: he? Absolutely. And having him like in the same shot as Alicia Vikander was at first quite jarring. Yeah. Because they feel like two entirely different worlds to me. Like Alicia is this kind of like indie darling Oscar winner and Nick Frost is like a national comedic treasure. Mm. And seeing them just like side by side, I thought might not have worked, but they bounced off each other really well.
3: That amulet was given to my father by Emperor Showa of Japan. Right, right. Well, this ain't from Japan. You're correct. Emperor Showa was given it by the grandson of the former emperor of Murata. Murata? <laughs> You're having a laugh, ain't you? And he himself got it from Thebo, the last king of Burma when he was exiled in India. Exiled in India? Mm. What a fascinating tale. And you got all this, uh, Provenance down on paper, dear? If I had the provenance on paper, I'd be at Christie's, wouldn't I? But, um. Is this is your lucky day. Uh, is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alan, what have yeah.
2: I told you about flirting with the customers? I'm not flirting.
3: I'm just naturally charismatic. I was not flirting. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> I was
3: flirting. Have a look. Big smiles, nice and casual. Right. Well, I'm pleased to say we're in a position to make you an offer. Ten. Please. Just a tad bit more. That's all I have to remember my dad by. Oh, oh, your dad died. That's a shame, it's a terrible thing for a young woman to lose her father, Mm. really. All right, fair enough, 9,000. You just said 10. Well, people come in here trying the dead dad shit all the time. You fall for it all the time, I Alan. All Yes, the you time. do, I've fallen for it twice. twice. Yeah, twice. It's the truth. <sighs> Fine. I'm happy to keep negotiating because now the price is eight. Okay, you win. Oh, finally. Thank you. Really. Thank <laughs> <laughs> for just such occasions. For just such occasions. Sort you burnt me taters. What? Seriously, sort it out. That is
0: our coffee. The scene at the end, which was the kind of either, uh, well, it's not a pre-credit sting, is it? Because, or a post-credit sting, because it's just after you see the, the word Tomb Raider for the first time, and yes. you yeah. kind of established here we are, and you know, the character's born, if you like. She goes to pick up her, the um, an emerald uh, bra- uh, necklace that she pawned from the, that her dad gave her. Is that right? Am I remembering that? And then she spots in the background the the desert eagles I I guess are they the desert eagle guns that she picks up in the in the games
2: yeah the the twin matching guns and she does kind of like the little nod and she has the braid and I thought that was nice there was like a little kind of like crumb for the original fans and I think it was sweet a sweet ending note to end on because she just seemed really like confident and ready and i was yeah. like that she is tomb raider now she she can take it on let's go sequel now please
0: And <laughs> <laughs> well, i guess how long do we have to wait for the uh the sequel
2: oh, i reckon it'll be like a good year or so because i know it's been announced that they're writing it yeah so they'll probably like start filming maybe like mid next year to late next year So I reckon maybe 2021 or later. But, you know, at least we can keep rewatching this till that day comes.
0: (laughs) No, it's on Netflix. I'm really surprised how much I I enjoyed it the second time around as well because it's a really easy watch. But yeah, I mean, fantastic. I'm I'm really glad uh, you made me watch this again.
2: (laughs) I'm very glad to have done that. I think according to Letterboxd, I checked before we did this and I think I've seen it 14 times. Wow. And it literally came out last year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's pretty it's good one of going things, especially now it's on Netflix it, like you say there's this warm feeling about it I find it really comforting just to have on you know when you don't really mm. want to watch something but you, you want to put something on so I'll, I'll just re-watch Tomb Raider again and I could literally recite the entire script from start to finish probably I, I just love it so much if I don't know what to watch that's the number one thing i go to <laughs>
0: Thanks ever so much for uh, joining us on the, in the bunker.
2: Absolutely, yeah, I've loved coming on. I love that it's like about bad movies and we couldn't <laughs> think of one bad thing to say about it.
0: Yeah, well, I'm surprised. I thought at least I'd be able to, I don't know, there's always this good contrast on there. I mean, mm. for me, I can say it, it was just an enjoyable movie and I saw past all the issues that the critics said were about the storyline and some of the you know uh, the clunky dialogue it wasn't really I mean I have seen like I say I have definitely seen worse doing this podcast <laughs> and we're like 50 episodes in now uh, and I've seen a lot of bad movies trust me but uh, this is no way as bad as the critic said and it, it has got a low score but it doesn't deserve it uh, in my opinion so it won't be staying in the bunker it'll be released into the general public and that's that's the ultimate goal
2: of what well, we i'm do. very thankful to hear that <laughs>
0: you're very welcome and um, where can we find you on 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 the internet and your sort of twitter handles and things
2: uh so you can find me on twitter and instagram at millison on film and then you can find my writing and musings in general places like Screen Queens, Little White Lies, Sci-Fi Now, and sometimes other places if they'll have me.
0: <laughs> okay. And the, and the podcast is available on iTunes as well, isn't it? Yes,
2: iTunes, SoundCloud and Spotify. And it's at SQ Podcast on Twitter. We're on a bit of a hiatus at the moment because she's doing a master's and I'm trying to catch up on uni myself. But we put episodes out at least like once a month for special occasions like festivals or award season and stuff. So you'll see her soon, I'm sure.
0: Excellent. Well, again, thank you very much, Melissa.
2: Thank you so much.
0: If we were to draw a graph of my process,
3: of my method, something like this. Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, action. You shall not pass! Cut! Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian.
1: Good interview, Chris. She made yeah. you look like an idiot. And I always like it when I guess make you look like an idiot. Yeah. Um. Yes. Um, which is always helpful. I, I, it's, I, like, um, it's like, it's like if, you know, when man, you see that diagram of man uh, from a little fish, to like a, a hunched being to a standing upright. Yeah. It's like the it. standing upright just walked around to the back and started talking to the little tadpole thing. <laughs>
0: That's what that reminds me of listening to that interview. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, the thing is, I I do it deliberately because I obviously want to make our guests feel good about themselves. I want them to feel comfortable and superior. And with me, it's not hard because (laughs) I'm I'm a dullard uh, most of the time. And uh, this is another outlet for my dullardicity. It's pitch time. It's the pitch. Yeah, so my pitch, I'm going to pitch it to you now. You're ready to hear because
1: it's. Yeah, this is just going to get my velvet trousers on. Yeah, get myself yeah. comfortable.
0: So Maybe here, we a go. pipe. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready. Go. Sorry. Right. Okay. So close
0: your eyes. Bye. Because it helps. Okay. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm conscious, though, with these pitches that you and I have been doing, that they are with one exception, they are on the dark side, and they do have similar themes running through them. So this is no exception. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so I buck the trend and it's a light-hearted rom-com. No, I mean, I'm trying, really trying hard to think of something that might be a bit lighter, but this is a comedy, okay? But unfortunately, it does share a lot of the themes with some of the ones we've done before, specifically the undead. But you are okay, so my movie working title is called uh, Zombie fest or zom fest. All right <laughs> Okay, and it goes a little bit like this. It's a apocalyptic zombie outbreak virus situation within a festival music festival setting Um so either something like Glastonbury or whatever or all the other uh, reading leeds or the other kind of music festivals um, someone eats something like bad falafel or something and or there's a contagion that happens to oh, there's a MacGuffin. yes and the the virus spreads into the crowd and then before you know it you've got a walking dead in uh, hipster hipster get up <laughs> festival wear right and so we're gonna have heroes and villains and so the heroes i haven't quite decided are either going to be two or like a, a small group of young uh, teenagers on their first festival uh, so it's the first time they've you know it's a bit like the in-betweeners in a way it's the first time they've been let let out on their own. They may have just finished their GCSEs or something. Um, or I had another idea. There are like it's there are like a BBC introducing band that have just got their first gig at a major festival and they're playing like the John Peel stage or the newcomers stage or something like that. So they're well excited, and um, yeah, they're playing out to uh, this this crazy zombie apocalypse. And there's other heroes and villains will become apparent so you'll have like security guards and and doorman who you know join the heroes and stuff to help out in terms of you know high vis jackets and and pepper sprays and all sorts of things and you would have maybe a, meta- a heavy metal band or a rock band who would be well into it and really enjoying themselves with their um, going around killing zombies with their guitars and amps and stuff like that inventive uh, inventive ways of killing zombies with drumsticks and yeah. I don't, and also, ultimately, it's about, you know, how they will survive. You, they're all penned in, obviously, because there's, you know, massive fences and security. Michael Leavis could even do a cameo as a zombie or something like that. Um, <laughs> and I, I had these sort of great little ideas in my head of certain scenes of the film because, you know, the band could be playing and it could be like a shoegazery indie band, so like a real kind of smashing pumpkins type thing. You're looking, They're looking out into the crowd, but the crowd are doing that kind of shuffle backwards and forwards that you do when you were like um, going to these indie nights. I know I did. And, and they, they're zombies dancing, but they're kind of just shuffling from backwards and forwards. And from the stage, it looks like they're having a really good time, but they're just <laughs> sinking into the music. So a bit like Shaun of the Dead in terms of some of the visual comedy. And I had another idea, uh, which is a great scene, I think, of uh, in a row of portaloos, zombies chasing someone who's not infected. They try to hide in a portaloo, They open it, go in, and step back out again because it stinks or it's disgusting, and then try the next one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So they're actually two, you know, um, and they're slow zombies, so there's always that kind of... You can you can dwell on the comedy a bit more with that kind of thing because
1: yeah you don't want those fast pegging it zombies do they? they're ridiculous
0: fast zombies are basically you've got a hell hope and hell's chance against fast zombies in my opinion but slow ones you've got you've got time to think at least about what you're going to do yeah it's um, just numbers and the the sheer weight of zombie that's the issue isn't it yeah and I think uh, I'm not entirely sure how how the film will will progress or how it will end. <laughs> I've just got <laughs> A fantastic ideas of you know, you know, a vegan falafel stand, um, contaminating everyone with this this crazy virus. Loads of face painted or zombie Smurfs walking around, uh, you know, tied together on stag doos and stuff like that. Yeah, what do you think?
1: Well, I I think uh, you're dialing it in because uh, previous listens to our podcast would. I've heard you talk about this film that you want to make, but it's fine. I mean, we, it's good. It's this nice that people have that callback. Uh, I want to hate it, but I did love it the first time that you mentioned this film. And can I suggest, and I was just trying to Google to see if the man is still alive. Do you know the roadie from Whitnow and I? Yes. With a camber or a carrot. Yeah. He should be in here as the um, savant you know, the, the young, like I think the young rock band is probably the best way to go because it has a good dynamic. They're not yeah. necessarily friends; they can have like in a turmoil as well. And then you could have like the savant turn up, going, "This all happened in '76, too, man." <laughs> 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 and you know, taking them down that road before dying horribly. Matthew, have I already pitched this movie? You haven't pitched the movie, but you have mentioned it previously in a pop and I can't remember which one it
0: was. Oh no. I thought this would be a surprise. Well, it's a surprise that you chose to talk about it twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it then. Another another episode in the can, as they say. Another pod yeah. done and dusted. So I guess in until next time, I think we'll probably put some uh, stuff online about what film we're gonna choose to do. We haven't quite decided, but there's plenty to choose from. Also, it's nearly Oh, now that Halloween's out of the way, it's Christmas time. So there'll be. Some- yeah, I went to the shops Christmas earlier. There. Fucking Christmas in the shops. Yeah. So it will be going Christmassy. Christmas shit films, I'm pretty sure. And it is the season. I do love Christmas, but uh, let's not talk. Too Can much we do like six Christmas films? <laughs> yeah, let's. <laughs> Nail it. I'm up for that. Until next time, Matthew. Goodbye. Bye.